Welcome to the Grow My Salon Business podcast, where we focus on the business side of hairdressing. I'm your host, Anthony Whitaker, and I'll be talking to thought leaders in the hairdressing industry, discussing insightful, provocative, and inspiring ideas that matter. So get ready to learn, get ready to be challenged, get ready to be inspired, and most importantly, get ready to grow your salon business. Hello and welcome to today's episode of the Grow My Salon Business Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Whitaker, and whether this is your first time or if you're a regular listener, it's great to have you here with us today. So I have a little favor to ask of you, and if you're a regular listener, you know what it is, and that is that you rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. By doing that, it helps other people find us and it motivates us to keep bringing you new guests and great content every week to help you succeed. All you need to do is to go to Apple Podcasts, scroll to the bottom of the page, select ratings and reviews, and write a review. It really is that simple. So with that said, on with today's show. Believe it or not, there are good things that have come from COVID. One of them is the increase in the amount of sharing and support that different individuals and groups offer. I imagine that other industries have found ways to connect and share information with each other too. But I think it's something that the hairdressing industry excels at and we should be proud of. My guest on today's podcast is James Elba, who, along with his wife, Angela, own the Beehive Salon in New Jersey. James isn't a hairdresser, but like others, he brings an entrepreneurial brain to the salon industry, as well as being the co-founder and host of the Beauty Business Reset. In today's podcast, we'll discuss sustainable salons, the good things that have come from COVID, the changes that the industry is experiencing, and lots more. So without further ado, welcome to the show, James Elba. Thank you for having me, Anthony. It's a pleasure. That's really good, mate. I'm uh, you know, really excited about this. I know we've spoken a lot on, on clubhouse rooms and stuff, and I'm looking forward to having this opportunity to spend you know, the hour with you. I know that the audience is going to get you know, a lot out of talking to you. I know you've got uh, you know, a, a lot of wisdom, and you can talk about this industry from lots of different angles. So before we uh, jump in and sort of dig into the good stuff, let's just start off with uh, an overview of you and your background. So um, who is James Elba? Give us your sort of, you know, two or three minute backstory. No, that, that's great. And so it's actually kind of funny because currently uh, my wife and I own a salon in northern New Jersey called The Beehive. And I've always been a worker bee. I think I had my first official paycheck job about 12 years old. Um, always hustled to get the things that I needed to get and, and worked continually through high school and things. But when I went to college, I actually worked in the restaurant business and I actually stayed in that business um, as a moonlighter for almost 20 years, even when we opened the salon. As you all know, when you open a business, um, it's not like, a, you know, uh, the money tree that someone gets you as a gift doesn't actually grow money. So you may have to hustle a little bit. Um, but spending that time in the restaurant business, um, you know, really gave me a good view of customer service. But the day I graduated college, I opened my own business. I've always been a serial entrepreneur. Um, the joke amongst my friends, even younger, if they said, oh, I want to start a landscaping business and uh, we'd hash out a good name for the company, a location. You know, I was the guy that you'd call if you wanted to open um, what we call an LLC as a business in the state or I knew how to get tax certificates and I knew accountants since I was 18 years old. 
So I always had that business acumen from the ground level standpoint and making those connections. Um, but really the restaurant business taught me so many things that that are applicable to the beauty industry that I would have never expected. I mean, the customer service side of it is one thing, but I always say when you work in that business and you work in a better location, nothing against the franchises and the fast food type places, but when you work for a fine dining type of establishment, it's the intuition that you know that that customer is going to need more water soon. You know that their food is delayed because something was ordered at a different time. You sort of build that intuition part of it. And that's always such an interesting thing for me in even going into other salons outside of ours is that um, I feel like that's the thing that I wish you could teach up and comers is being able to, you know, take a view of that landscape and sort of look around Terminator style, right? Where you have the little dials around your goggles when you go in and be able to anticipate what the next thing may happen or how to plan for that to happen. And, and it's, it's pretty interesting. Also, yeah, it's interesting what, what you just said about the food industry. I mean, I, um, I've had lots of different jobs before I got into hairdressing, but I, I often sort of reflect on businesses like McDonald's, you know, or, or, or Starbucks or whatever. And I often look at them and I think, gosh, if I was a kid, I'd actually love to work in them, you know, not for long, you know, six months or whatever, because they're incredible businesses, like the, the systems and the structure and the training, you know, that goes into them um, is amazing. And I, and I actually think that, you know, that, that they give people an opportunity to understand a lot about customer service, building a brand, you know, delivering a product, all that sort of stuff, sort of subliminally, even if you're not really, you know, going in there looking for it, you're, you're at some degree going to, you know, take some of that on board. So, so how, did, how did that event evolve into you being a hairdresser, the, the, you know, well, the food industry? You know, my my wife had been in the industry. Um, I can't I'm not allowed to say exactly how long, but she's been doing hair for over 20 years. And um, this is actually you're, you're going to love. I know you love stories. You're going to love this story. I've told this before, but I don't know why people just never pay attention to it. So um, when I graduated college, I started a recruiting business. We were in the mid 90s. I.T. was a very hot property, especially in terms of contract and temporary workers in the States. So you were basically taking people in from overseas and applying them to different companies, um, especially in New Jersey, big companies, Mercedes, BMW, Unilever. You had a lot of really big corporations, uh, pharmaceutical companies. So that's where I sort of got my bones in, in my own business because you could start up with one computer. As a matter of fact, if you had a computer, you were better off. We were faxing resumes at that point over to hiring managers. So um, I had been in that industry and um, you know had had done different things throughout um, in between there after 9-11, which I know we're, we're shortly after the anniversary of 9-11, but that decimated the IT industry, especially with bringing workers in from overseas for years. So um, sort of did other businesses in between and tried a few other startups that didn't make it um, for one reason or another. And, you know, fast forward, me and my wife, we get married, she's in the business. And at that time I go back, you know, we have our first child on the way. I go back to work for a corporate recruiting company, a uh, little more corporate than just me. You know, obviously have to punch in and punch out every day, not being your own entrepreneur, which can't say I loved, but when you're soon to be a father, you have to do what you have to do. And it just, I could not make it work. Um, I didn't have the finesse or the knowledge, I guess, from when I did that or the drive to work for someone else. It just wasn't my thing. 
and I was really stuck and had a great boss and worked with a great team of people and I just couldn't get things together. And as a joke, my I don't want to say a joke, my father-in-law, who's very actively involved in the back office of our business because, you know, it's his oldest daughter's business. And um, he had gotten a gift card for a psychic reading. Um, he worked with a lot of people that loved that type of stuff. And I am so not a believer in that. I don't like Ouija boards. I don't like, you know, it's, it's yeah, just yeah. not my thing. And um, I was so stuck that I left work and I called Hector in Florida. And I said, hey, listen, uh, you know, have this gift card to do a psychic reading. We did it over the phone. Um, he was well versed because he was he left the IT industry, which is interesting because his gift was so grand, um, which this is what he's telling me. And I'm on the phone saying, I can't believe I'm doing this on my lunch hour. And Hector had said to me, can I ask you a question? Um, are, are you losing your hair? And I said, hell no. I said, I will plant grass seed. I will wear a wig. You will never see. I, listen, bald is beautiful. I know, as they say. Um, but that's the same thing as rain on your wedding day. They say it's good luck. I, I will not ever be bald. It's just not going to be my thing. And I said, no. And I said, well, maybe it's the stress of work that's you know pulling out your hair. And he said, no, I'm seeing actual hair. And I said, maybe it's my wife. And you know she's been doing hair for a long time. And we didn't own the salon at that point. And he said, no, it's you. And it's your active involvement in the hair industry. And I hung up the phone. And I said, this guy is full of garbage. And I knew I shouldn't have done that. And I went back to work and um, you know, a few months later, I wound up getting laid off. We were having a downturn in business overall. And uh, yeah, this is around the housing market crisis, I guess as well, which affects and resonates through, especially here in the States. And my wife said, we should open a hair salon. And I said, it's the greatest thing in the world to do while you're unemployed. Um, but she had a really good concept and you know, she wanted to do something more on the natural side because our household, you know, we were always a very green household. New Jersey, after all, is the garden state. So um, I know many of you think that it's the mafia state or, or there's, there's other things that you think about besides our coffee that we drink. Um, but New Jersey being the garden state typically does have a lot of resonance with green things and, and being sustainable. And she wanted to open a sustainable salon. So the joke of it was, I said, the beehive sounds great to me because it pays homage to the retro hairstyle and bees in the environment. And as we were stuck on the name and it came down to, I have to punch it in today with the state to get paperwork in time, uh, I wind up getting stung by a bee. So it was kismet at that point that the, the universe and my friend Hector were telling me that I needed to be actively involved in this industry. I, I, listen, a lot of you go to beauty school and, and you have braid your friend's hair when you're younger. I get stung by a bee and talk to a psychic. Yeah, that, I'm, I'm similar. There was absolutely no you know, uh, pathway into me becoming a hairdresser. It just sort of happened. Uh, you know, whereas you meet other people, they say, look, all my life I wanted to do hair. So, so you did go to beauty school though then, did you? I, I did not. I am the business okay. side of our business uh, only. I did. See, there you go. I didn't even realize that. Well, okay. my, my joke now is that, you know, I'm approaching 50 years old and I said I'd be the first 50 year old to graduate beauty school and charge yeah. over $100 a haircut the day I get my license. So yeah, I, yeah, I know yeah. enough to be dangerous at this point for sure. Yeah. Okay. All right. And so you answered that question I wanted to ask you about, which is where did the name come from, the beehive? Uh, so I get that. And 
you know, with, with with what I do know about you and your background and your salon and stuff, I I knew that it was very important to you the whole uh, environmental, uh, you know, sustainable, organic thing. So uh, let let let's talk about that. You said that um, Angela, your wife, you know, was already sort of into that and wanted to open a sustainable salon, uh, but I know that you've really taken that and and run with it. So. You know, uh, I, I know that you're passionate about using recycled materials and organic product and, or, you know, eco-friendly product and hand handmade, sorry, and bespoke and local and all of the things that are, are important. So, you know, t talk t to that uh, for me. Well, it's interesting that when you talk about anything, especially recycling, it's always about the life cycle of a product, right? So we all know that things like plastics and single-use plastic, especially in plastic straws are bad. But it has the same effect when you look at the lifestyle, the life cycle of supporting a local business, right? If it's a handmade product that's local, um, you're supporting a mom that may have to send her kids to dancing school, or a dad that may be a single dad, or you know, you're you're bringing in that locality aspect of it. And usually, things that are local and handmade are always going to have some natural effect to them. I mean, it, mm. it's, you'd be hard pressed to be like, "Hey, I'm using Bill, and he's pumping oil in his backyard into into <laughs> cans to run your furnace." Right? It's usually something handmade that that is made first of all with love and most of all with more natural materials which i always think is great and and that's what we look at in the salon overall we cannot cure every single aspect of what the salons produce in terms of waste right it's hard you can't not use nitrile gloves you can't go in and say hey we decided gloves are bad and we're not going to use them anymore but it's the purposeful recycling of things like gloves that make a difference. And I would tell any of your listeners, it doesn't matter where they are on the globe, as, this, as the clientele gets younger or the younger clientele gets old enough to have their hair colored, which is most of our bread and butter, they are definitely concerned about working with companies that have a mission statement besides, hey, we do fantastic hair. They want companies that actually do things for the community that are environmental, that support local, and they have an active concern about the planet. They actually care what happens. Um, the, you know, the, you're seeing it at resorts that you go to overseas. There is not a resort overseas that uses plastic straws anymore. I don't care if you go to Mexico. I don't care if you go any of the islands. They've all stopped doing that because yeah. they don't have the capacity even to hold that as garbage. But you walk into any fast food location and find me a paper straw, find me a metal straw, find me a, find me a cup that doesn't even need a straw anymore. It's bad enough they have the plastic lid, they still have the plastic straw here in the States. So, you know, when smaller companies in smaller places and smaller locations are able to do it, do it well, make you understand it, and they communicate their message of sustainability, it makes you more interested to be there. Right when it's like, hey, you're going to this funky resort and they have a great pool and a great view of the beach. When you find out that it's like, hey, we don't only want to make it really make really great pina coladas here, but we don't put the umbrellas in the drinks anymore because the umbrellas don't recycle. So now we're going to use a paper straw and it just gives you a different feel overall that they actually care. And the, the, yeah. listen, caring about the planet means I'm caring about you. It's not just about you. It's sort of that global feel that we're all in this together, which, you know, uh, coming out of something like COVID, right? You wish there was more of a global feel of us all giving a, you know, giving a hug to the planet and saying, hey, we're concerned about your kids. We're concerned about you know, where, where the planet will be 10 years from now because as the planet gets more populated, 
it's just exponentially changing so much more in terms of what that waste does, what those carbon emissions do, what you know, utilizing fossil fuels does, that it's gonna be it's gonna be really hard. And the kids that are gonna be your next client, these Generation Z, and God forbid we talk about alphas, right? They're the ones that are being born now. They're gonna demand, they're gonna wanna take their stuff from you after they're done getting their hair done and recycling on their own because they're not gonna trust you. Yeah, exactly. So the, with, with the whole environmental thing, and you having been in business for a number of years now, we're going into our 10th find- year this year. Right, okay, fantastic. So, so do you find that the generation of employees now, you know, you just mentioned Gen Z coming in the door, et cetera, to work for you, et cetera, are they more interested, tuned in, focused on sustainability? Is it just part of who they are? I mean, are you attracting clients? Are you attracting staff because this is – so publicly your you know your mission that you sort of you know hang your brand on we are and what's interesting is it's not um it's not even our statistic on it is that when you look at these up and comers and these and i hate to use gen z as the model example yeah, yeah. you know we, we like gen z gen z is good but yeah. um you know the things like money are not the first thing that's on their list it may be fourth or fifth depending on the study that mm-hmm. they want to work for companies that have flexibility for mental health, uh, flexibility for personal um, uh, fitness, things like that, so that they can have an active lifestyle, which I think is great. They don't mind working hard, they just want it to be flexible, but they also wanna work for companies that actually care, that Mm -hmm. whether it's community things that they do, whether it's charitable things, whether they're a B corporation, as um, I don't know if you guys are seeing that as much overseas as we are here now with B Corps, Um, They actually want companies that care. They want to feel good about the company they work for. And what's interesting is I just read maybe a Time Magazine study here, which is a big, you know, obviously a big magazine here in the States. They said that the job turnover rate for some of these younger people coming up, they work for a job a year and a half or two years and they move on. What we know about the salon industry is you can't even really build a great clientele within that time frame. So if if we as the salon industry are going to say we're going to break that mold of the younger generation not sticking around too long in a position they're going to want to make sure that those top four things above money are things that we're offering them that we are offering flexibility for their mentality um, that we are doing things environmentally different that we are companies that actually care about community issues and things whether they're super local or, or super large, um, they're, they're going to want to know that you do that. And and what's funny about that is that I always say communicating that message is the hardest part, right? We have a six-way recycling center that's set up in a bypass as soon as you walk into our salon. So we're partitioned. Um, a lot of people in the States, especially on the East Coast, you do cut and color. They're not a partition type of thing like it may be in New York City or California that you have to bypass that. So our color room and our color processing area, you pass this big unit that's got partitions for oddities, right? Batteries and light bulbs, which we will take if clients come in and say, man, I don't know what to do with this. We will figure it out. We have it covered. Uh, Separates gloves, takes hair, you know, different partitions, plastic bottles, takes metal recyclables. So it's visible to clients as they walk by because we were doing this anyway, even when we opened. I mean, we said we were a green business. We were doing all of this. I was the one sorting in the basement, like uh, 
like a crazy person um like a factory <laughs> downstairs i'm what is this which bin does this go into yeah, yeah. Um, but now that clients see it they walk by and they say oh wow they really do they're not just green certified they actually go and i can physically see some of that happening as we walk by which is which is really cool and and they appreciate it yeah and, and it's interesting i think you know you touched on covid and we'll i'm sure we'll talk about covid more during this um podcast but it's sped up a lot of things um sometimes i hear covid referred to as an accelerator things that were happening anyway um have just you know happened with bells on so to speak that that what might have taken five years has taken a year um and you know what you were just alluding to about what employees want now you know and they want more, it's not just about money they want to work for a company that cares they want more flexibility etc cetera, etc cetera. um you know all of that is is very real so it's interesting you know to talk to someone at the coalface that that um you know is experiencing that with both clients and and staff and it being an upside for you and your business because that's what you've hung your hat on for a long time yeah well and here's what here's what's interesting too is that you talk about it as an accelerant um you know, it was hard to get employees to come back to work in some respects, right? Most of the mm. time, seasoned stylists have clientele and they came back relatively readily as long as they were able to, depending on their household. But mm. in New Jersey, especially, beauty schools were closed. So mm. there was a holdup with assistants being licensed and graduates getting their official license. And obviously, you know, with uh, some of the benefits that the states were offering people during that time, it was very easy to sit on your couch and not do anything. Yeah. Um, you know, unfortunately, most people worked out and bought a dog at that time. I just ate more and, and, and did, you know, and, and did crazy video calls and podcasts. But what happened was, um, you know, we had been using biodegradable disposable towels. It was a thing we had, we were entertaining whether the luxury feel of a really high end towel, because we're, we're in a high end market and we have a high end price point. Would the clients say, you know, I really want a high quality towel that's gonna do the job and, and, and be nice and always retain its nice color and all that stuff that you'd expect from high quality. Is that gonna make a difference to me versus a disposable that obviously has a different feel? So we opted out of necessity at that point to go to the biodegradable disposable towels, which um, there's a company called Scrummy that you get in the States. You may have things like Easy Dry over if you're in Ireland or, or the UK that make disposable towels. You know, what we realized was the client is upside down in the sink, right? They, they're looking at you and they're, whether they're talking to you through a mask or not through a mask, their vantage point is very odd. They don't even see the towel, first of all, okay? You need the yeah. towel to do what a towel's supposed to do. Yeah. But what was interesting for us is that we do one load of laundry a week for our entire salon. Now, by no means are we a monster salon. We're a six chair salon that is completely booked. You know, even now we're booked four weeks in advance, even just to get a, a generalized appointment and it's funny that without doing laundry like as someone that's not licensed laundry was one of the things that i was uh, able to pitch in for the staff and say i'll throw the laundry in for you but not having to do it um, it's not just the water waste that happens with laundry right it's the body that laundry requires so when you look at gen z and you would say traditionally someone as an assistant came in the salon and it said hey you're going to sweep the floor hey you're going to do laundry you're going to do all this stuff as a uh, you know, almost as your penalty until you earn your way to be able to be trained. They don't want to do that. Now, granted, sweeping of the floor and keeping the place safe and tidy is always an issue, COVID or not, 
okay? Mm. But something like laundry, the younger generation is like, oh, they hired me to do laundry. They don't realize that as states like New Jersey go to $15 per hour for hourly employees, I'm paying you $15 to throw that load of laundry in. But I'm not just paying you $15. I have to pay the taxes as an employer on that $15. It's the lighting of where the laundry is located, all these things that are in and actively involved in it. So it's not just the fact that it's more environmentally sound to use these disposable biodegradable. It's the fact that I'm not paying a body that doesn't want to do laundry anyway, that's going to think it's a menial task that they're not being trained. And I'm not paying the, the hourly wage on it. Yeah, yeah, so I'm actually saving money by using that. So th yeah. that's an ironic thing that sometimes sustainability, I'm actually saving money and not dealing with the agony of uh, someone that doesn't want to do laundry and thinks they're going to quit on me because um, they feel like they're the laundry person in the salon all day. Sure. You, you, you touched on something which made me think, isn't it interesting how that's changed? And, and you said, you know, we're a high price point salon. Um, and yet you're very green, very sustainable. If you go back not that long in time, anyone that was green and sustainable and blah, 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 was sort of considered a bit alternative, a bit hippie. A bit, it, wasn't, it wasn't luxury. It certainly wasn't high price point. And it's interesting that now that's sort of turned around that it's in, and becoming more and more so that they don't necessarily want to see it, but, but they want to know that that's happening, you know, that, that you're a brand that is sustainable and that cares for the planet and does all this stuff and that, you know, partners with brands that also share the same uh, values, um, you know, which, which more and more influences people's buying decisions. It was interesting, you know, during COVID, I, I have a, a coaching client who I, I work with and during the lockdown and, and, you know, there's lots of funny things that come out of COVID that we didn't necessarily expect would happen. But one of the things that came out of it with him was we were talking one day and he said, you know, I've had a lot of time to reflect on my business. And I've realized that my partners, meaning his brand partners, you know, the, the, who provided professional products, had completely different values to him. And so, you know, this was last year, he, he, he changed supplier and he wanted to be aligned more with a brand that shared his values for, uh, for, for, for the planet, for packaging, for rinsing less leftover product down the sink, for recycling, for, you know, child labor, slave labor, testing on animals, you know, the whole nine yards. So he, he sort of had this, this moment to, and I think this is what COVID has done, this moment to step back and stop and reflect on lots of things in life. And, you know, I'm sure we're going to talk more about this as, as we go, you know, through this, but there's been some things that have happened, you know, COVID is all about, you know, COVID and people getting ill and people getting vaccinated. That's where the focus has been. Businesses being closed and unemployed and blah, blah, blah. But out the back end of COVID, as we have, depending on the country you're in, started to enter this recovery phase, it's interesting how there are these unexpected things that have happened. Uh, sometimes they're unexpected opportunities. Uh, sometimes they're unexpected problems. And, and we'll, we'll come to that. Uh, we'll come to that. We're sort of segueing into it right now because I, I want to ask you 
about this thing you do, which I think is really impressive, uh, called Beauty Business Reset. And uh, uh, most of the audience won't know what I'm talking about. So um, I, I want to sort of pass that over to you to explain, you know, what Beauty Business Reset is and, uh, and you know, what, what, what the, the purpose behind it was when you got it going. So what's interesting, um, and I appreciate that, you know, we've worked, you know, we, we started out not working hard on it and turned into something, which is interesting. So um, if any of you are on, you can, you can find us through uh, Beauty Business Reset as a Facebook group. Uh, we'll have our YouTube channel with all of our past um, calls that we've had over the last year plus, which is up to 105 um, live videos. Um, Anthony's been gracious enough to be on multiple times, but a whole vast array of people that are just really giving good sound advice and conversations, I guess I would the best thing. Not necessarily training calls that you have to sign in and be on for an hour, but but a little bit of fun and, and a little bit of conversation. And um, you know, the ironic thing was I've been a Zoom expert way before any of you were. Um, I used Zoom an awful lot. Um, yeah. You know, being part of, a, you know, one of our, our partner brand is Davines, which is a global company. So, um, you know, after uh, we actually won their Eco Salon contest, uh, which is a very big deal in 2014. So two years after we opened, we were honored in London with that award. And from there, we've traveled with them to different venues. And we're fortunate enough as our little, I always say a small local international award winning hair salon. Um, as we are as a salon, we have friends that are all over the globe. So Cambodia and London and Australia and New Zealand and things. So unfortunately, it's not as easy to just pick up the phone. You know, you needed to do scheduled things. So I had been on Zoom and I knew how to do all of the backgrounds that you people are just learning how to do now, finally. Um, but I, I had known how to do it. So Derek, uh, my friend Derek, who's in New Jersey, whose company is uh, Salon Ninja, called me up and said, um, New Jersey closed salons right around the same time, New York, Connecticut, New Jersey, PA, um, around March, right, right around St. Patrick's Day here. So March um, 17th. And, you know, we were sort of like, oh, it's going to be two weeks. No big deal. We actually planned, <laughs> even me, and I know, I know I'm an optimist. I was like, oh, two weeks. I was counting 14 days and already booking clients back in, yeah, uh, yeah, you know, yeah. unbeknownst to me what would happen. And, uh, and Derek calls me and said, hey, I have this idea. Why don't we do a straight 30 days now that this is going to go on? Um, let's go to our friends. And we all had different eclectic friends that, um, you know, that we knew in the industry that were trainers or coaches or interesting people. And we built a 30 day window every single day for 30 days. We said we're going to go live eight o'clock Eastern time. And we had Nicholas French and Vivian McKender and Beth Minardi and Gino Stampore. And I mean, anybody that you can think of that um, I'm sure with with your audience that would be like, wow, those are you know, those are all my favorites. And it was meant to be 30 days. And then after we got to the end of 30 days and salons and spas were still closed, we said, oh, shit, we better we oh, oh we better go in and and do something else and, and continue it. So we had started doing it as a weekly call. And like I said, we're now up to 105. And really what happened with it was it was an outlet um, for salon owners and spa owners to come on. And whether it was to laugh, whether it was to cry, whether it was to fill the void, um, you know, salon ownership and spa ownership can be a lonely place sometimes, mm -hmm. right? Uh, most of the time you're open it under, you, listen, truthfully, most of the time you open it and you really shouldn't open one, right? Like you yeah, open it, with, you just go in with gusto and, and yeah. hope. But, you know, it can Good be lonely. You have, 
Right, you, that's you, it. You, you always have a good name and a and a logo. Yeah, <laughs> I'll right. Get, I'll that's get a business. Yeah, yeah. And and but it, but truthfully, you saw that in COVID that that loneliness of you know when you're an owner operator and you have your own clients, you sort of miss things. You know whether it was toxic staff room conversations or things that didn't just line up and you know even repair work right doors that were coming off the hinges that you said you'd get to it there was just a, not a lot of maintenance mentally there wasn't a lot of maintenance financially there were so many things you know meetings with staff there was you know when things were good 2019 man bang 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 we were doing you know even our salon we were riding high we were doing great retail numbers were crazy and salon was completely booked out and we were happy campers and then three months later it's like holy mackerel you know what happened um it was it was a, meant to be a venue um afterwards right so the first 30 days what we started to realize was as i had offline conversations sort of like we did this morning before we were on yeah you talk to some of these people that like like you that i i think are fantastic right i've known you for years i said wow anthony's anthony's one of my favorites um you know, you had the same things going on, whether your business was actually ownership of a salon or you were dealing with people in the industry that I started to scratch my head and they said, man, this isn't just affecting our little business here locally or our friends that have salons. Um, this is even affecting the coaches and affecting the distributors and affecting the manufacturers that it was meant to be the camaraderie of saying, hey, listen, we don't even have a great structured topic of what we're going to talk about today anthony's going to come on and we're just going to we're going to riff and we're just going to talk about what it wherever it goes and it was really a wonderful thing to be able to have that outlet for people to come home um you know whatever time zone they were in but monday nights here in the east coast to come home and say yeah. man and because listen who wants to watch you can only binge watch so much on netflix or amazon right mm -hmm. we sort of became like that type of thing where they looked forward to coming on and just having that connection and that's what it was all about and i think that's why you know we're we're trying structurally to say wow what do we do next especially this end of the quarter you have a lot of beauty shows that are happening or trying to yeah. happen yeah so we're invited all over the place to do different things and i said man what are we going to do next year how can we keep this going with this communication this camaraderie just to give people an outlet even our group on facebook um you know, I'm in a lot of hairstylist groups on Facebook, probably about 20 or so, and the complaining about commission structure and this is what my company does and suites being open and suites suck and suites are great and all the different yeah, conversations yeah. that happen. Our group of owners that are there all have genuinely great answers to questions, big, small, or indifferent, that they're really being able to build this group of people that I used to have to check all day long. Oh my God, a question came in. Let me make sure, you know, that you're monitoring the commentary and it wasn't bad. And now I don't even check. I'll, I'll check once in a while and say, okay, mm. hey, he answered it. He's handling it, gave good advice. And mm. it's built this network of people that actually are giving sound advice to their peers. Um, and I, I love that about it. I think it's, I think it's been really, it's been hopeful to see how that's grown from the beginning of this mess until you know, I loved how you just said recovery period, um, you know, into the recovery period. Mm. Yeah, it, it's it, that sort of is an example of what I mean when I said how there's the things that we focused on about COVID and then there's these things that just happened, which we weren't expecting or anticipating. And, um, you know, a beauty business reset, there's, you know, a Facebook group 
is is it's great. It's got like a sense of community about it. It's it's got a very casual, you know, like New Jersey good old boys standing around <laughs> having a chat. You know, it does have it does have that feeling oh, about oh, it in a nice way. Dog. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's it it it's got a. It, and that's why I like it. It's good. It's good. And and that is one of the really positive things that I think came out of COVID is that. We, I mean, I, I, one of my presentations I do, I, I may have done it on BBR, where I, I talk about how one of the things that came out of COVID is that the industry was slapped in the face with how woefully unprepared most salons are, um, that they're not particularly profitable concerns, that they are a cash flow business. And when the cash flow stopped, it was crisis straight away for most salons. And, and that was sort of a... That was a negative, I suppose. It was a reality check. But I think one of the good things that have come out of COVID is that all over the world, um, and BBR, you know, Beauty Business Reset, is, is one of the best ones without a doubt, is you realised what a great community we've got. What, 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 what great sharing and giving and, you know, just, just guys, we're in this together. Anything I can do to help you, I'll help you. You know, and I love that about it. I absolutely love that about this industry, but I think it's particularly uh, noticeable, I've found, on Beauty Business Reset, that it is this community of people, you have these different guests on, and it is casual, it is informal, um, but there's some great information, some great, you know, resources there. So, you know, I, I think that that's a, you know, a real positive. I mean, I know that in, in different countries at the moment, there are still places that are on lockdown or have gone back into lockdown, some of them on the seventh, eighth, ninth time. Um, you know, some of them have been on lockdown for, you know, periods as long as 10, 11 months, you know, which is just how any business can survive like that is beyond me. But what I wanted to ask you is I, I, I know that, you know, in in the US predominantly, um, as far as I'm aware, everyone is open. Um and so there must be a tendency for you to want to go, okay, you and Derek and, and Andrew to sort of go, do you know what, let's let's pull the drawbridge up on it. We've finished, it served its purpose. Uh, but it doesn't look like you have any any plan to do that. Is it is it going to continue? Because I think it's a I think it's a valuable, you know, resource. It's a it's a great community thing that uh, it helps a lot of people. So what what are your plans for it going forward? Yeah, well, you know, and that's a great point too. Um, well, and here's some backstory that's funny. So Derek and I have known each other for years. He he owned the salon for a long time before he became a coach, mm -hmm. consultant, and, and obviously technology company. But I only met Andrew through this. So when I came okay. on initially, I was tech support. I was running, as a matter of fact, I, there's a, there may be a picture on my personal Instagram where I had Beth Minardi on and I have an iPad that's on Facebook. I have my Zoom on. I have my phone on to answer comments. I had this little, uh, look like NASA with all my technology set up. Um, so Andrew and I were introduced. Andrew and I have never physically met, but we talk so often that that's sort of the joke. And he's only right across the bridge in New York, but between the kids being home and things like that, it just hasn't really been super conducive, not even because of COVID. It's just, we listen, we have a rough household in here. God forbid, I'm glad I don't have any pets right now. I mean, that would have just thrown, <laughs> and I don't care if it's a frog, a scorpion, or a parrot, any pet, it would just throw the thing completely on tilt. Um, but what we're able to do now is we're able to take that audience and modify a bit. So, you know, we have a bunch of things that are involving charity. 
Um, we have October is National Haircutters Month for Intercoiffure that we had Sheila Wilson on last week that that's going to be something that everyone that's a haircutter can get involved. And it's talking about bringing the artistry back to haircutting, right? Bringing back that no more long layers. We're getting ready for the mini skirt. Everybody's getting a pixie now and we're going short. Um, my friend Suzanne Shepard Post, who's out of Nashville, Tennessee, worked with her legislation to get a domestic violence certification passed because salons tend to be a safe haven, especially salons are going to have a high population of women employees and women clientele for them to be able to acknowledge or get information on that. So she'll be on with us. So we're able to take that venue now and highlight some things that are a little bit, I don't want to say higher level, but different level. You know, if you need coaching on day-to-day -day operations, listen, you can call Anthony. We know a bunch of great people that can get into your, dive into your tax accounting books and, and how you do things in terms of commissions and what you do. If you need sound advice about things that are happening in the industry, we have such a finger on the pulse now to be able to talk about topics um, that maybe just wouldn't come up normally. Mm -hmm. um, and that's what we hope to do is to, is to hope to grow it in a way that we're actually keeping it interesting and keeping it friendly and fun and community-based, but yep. you know we don't have to talk so much about um, COVID protocols anymore and the things that we started with. We can bring a little bit of, of a different interesting thing to come into it that salon owners and stylists and staff and clients can appreciate. Yeah, okay. Um, so anyone can join in. Doesn't matter where you are in the world. You can just go to Facebook and search Beauty Business Reset and you can go on YouTube, look at Beauty Business Reset. You can look at past episodes, et cetera. Yeah? Absolutely, absolutely. Cool. And and they do post. They, we do them live, um, which that's the only thing that may change. We haven't decided mm -hmm. because now that we have so many friends like you that are that are global, it's not as easy to do a live at 8 p.m. Eastern time. So. Uh, we may do some changes for next year that make it a little more conducive timing wise, but but absolutely. And and most of the videos are on there. You know, as you guys know, typically click the videos tab and and you can go back and see some fun episodes and always make sure you watch the first 10 minutes while we get Facebook Live starting, because that's some of the most fun part of the conversation we have. <laughs> I know I can I can vouch for that. OK, so. Um... Beauty Business Reset. I recommend everyone goes and checks it out. Uh, the, the the gentleman that we were just referring to, uh, Derek, is Derek Hull. And I interviewed Derek in an earlier podcast. In fact, it was way at the beginning, over a year ago, episode 15. And uh, uh, he's always worth, well worth listening to because he comes at the industry from a rather different perspective. Um, he isn't a hairdresser himself, um, a little bit like you, uh, but his uh, wife was a hairdresser and uh, his background is interesting. He actually used to be in the Marines, didn't he? But the, the reason why I sort of latched on to him was that he was a, uh, I think he was a union rep or a union president or something. And so, so, so things, Jersey, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, Such exactly. A New Jersey thing. Yeah, 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 he's from the Sopranos. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, but, you know, I always find him a valuable resource because you cut through all the misinformation to this is the law. These are the facts. Do you know what I mean? And uh, for, for, for non-Americans, um, I think when I first started working in the States, one of the things that I was amazed, that's the wrong term, but every state, 50 of them plus, 
there's different rules and different laws, and it's really difficult to get your head around what's the law in America because it depends what state you're in. But um, I, I found that that Derek had a really good um, insight into you know, federal law, not just state law. So, uh, well, we're checking out episode 15 on Grow My Salon Business Podcast. Okay, so one of the things I wanted to ask you about as a sort of wrapping up on that is that you talk to all these different people from many different areas of the industry over the last year, and a little bit like I do, you know, doing, you know, the, the regular podcast. I want to ask you, what, what observations do you have about how the salon industry is evolving because you have these, you know, I often say it to my my guests on the podcast. I say, you know, I can't come up to you in a pub and sort of start asking you all these intense questions. It would just be wrong. But on a, on a podcast, that's the whole purpose of it. You know, so, you know, I find I get exposed to these people with, with you know, great stories and great minds and great ideas. And, and so, you know, you can ask these really intense questions. So, you know, I know that you're on the other end of listening to all these people every week as well. So what are the observations that you've got about how the salon industry is evolving, you know, in the U.S., across the board? You know, like, what are your thoughts about all that? Well, and, you know, and that's actually a great point. Um I think the first thing that I'm that I would say is as what I'm seeing overall is mentality. You know, we talked a little bit about Gen Z looking for places that were going to be flexible in terms of mental health and things like that. Um, you know, salon owners, salon staff, operators, you know, we were burdened when we all were, you know, everybody was so gung ho and Everybody missed their hairdresser so much that they were buying clippers at the local pharmacy if it was even open and shaving their heads themselves and things that I don't want to lose that momentum of what the expertise is. And I think a lot of our salons that are members of our group uh, with BBR and, and outside, they sort of took a look back and said, wait a minute, I always was an expert. I do all of this education. I follow all these things. I've, you know, whether you read Al Sassoon based or, or wherever you, you sort of built your structure um, through the, the, the hierarchy that we're noticing is all the same. The family tree is very short in the hair industry um, that they, they realized that they were experts at this, that, you know, um, that the communication with the clients, you know, what started out as COVID paperwork they had to sign and different protocols they had to follow. Um, that they're going to continue that, you know, as as experts, I would say advice wise, any of your listeners, whether they're owner operators or just operators, is that don't lose that power of communication with your clients. You know, I used to joke when I would do training classes and say, you all do horrible consultations, right? Go to we talked about the restaurant industry, you know, go to any fine dining restaurant and the waiter would come up to you and or waitress and read you off the specials and tell you the ingredients and always added adjectives to explain how delicious you know the truffles added on where and where they were from and things and made it sound oh my god i need to buy that 150 dollar steak um, <laughs> you know we don't do that in the industry you know we've lost some of that sitting down where you know the the mom client that does the mom pullback and the professional client that doesn't really have the tenacity or the tinsel strength to to blow dry as straight as you do and and be able to say okay hold up i'm the expert here Let's do an analysis. What's your lifestyle like? What do you do? And I think that while we still have that aspect of recovery, that you can talk a lot about that with them, that we don't have to talk about the pet you bought during COVID or 
you know, that you bought one of those crazy mirrors that the guy works out with you in front of you, which I still can't under, I'm a techie and I can't understand how that works, but working on it, um, that they, that they retain some of the things that were sort of thrown upon us as an industry and, and communication is definitely one. Um, I love mental health days. Uh, we've always sort of made that something we've applied in our salon. Um, you know, most of the time in the States, I know businesses are Monday through Friday, salons may be Tuesday through Saturday. We've always been a five day business. Uh, we love a four day work week at a max for our staff. Um, it's sort of mandatory. If I can't have you completely booked at a higher price point in four days, uh, the fifth day doesn't do me any good. You know, there's always that day that someone's staring at you. So, um, you know, we, we sort of adopted that mentality to make sure that they have some extended time off. And we also take days off. You know, we close the salon during the holidays between Christmas and New Year's here. We close for a week in August. August in the States, especially in the northern New Jersey part, we have, um, you know, your listeners would say the beach. We have the Jersey Shore. Don't know why we're the only ones here that say shore, not beach. Um, <laughs> but a lot of people go down because it's easy. Yeah. You can drive there. So August tends to be an interesting month before mm-hmm. back to school. So we make sure that our staff has that time off so that they can spend time with their families or readjust and, um, you know, the communication with your clients, the communication with your staff. You know, most of you that didn't have staff meetings were forced to have meetings because of protocols, state, federal, country protocols that came in. Keep it up. I mean, you know, any of my salon owner friends that I talk to always say, oh my God, I hate the staff meeting. All I'm doing is saying, who didn't clean up their towels? Who didn't do this? Who didn't do that? Well, stop doing that. You know, we have staff meetings and we say, you know, how's everybody feeling? What's going on with you? Um, you know, what, what do you think the next promotion should be? What, you know, what, what kind of products are you liking? What, you know, we ask for feedback. Sometimes we do it in advance and I'll say, hey, here's five questions I want everybody to answer so we can speed up the meeting so it's not this long drawn out meeting um, in the morning. But, you know, keep the lines of communication open. You would all be really surprised at some of the observations that your staff has. And I know, you know, we always look to clients for Yelp reviews and Google reviews and those types of things, but do the same thing and treat your staff the same way and go back and say, hey, you know, what do you think would be a good thing business-wise? Because they may have a, they may have their finger on the pulse overall in what's going on and what they see. And you'd be really surprised at the insight that you can get from that. Yeah, I think this very much connects to what we said before about COVID being an accelerator. Um, in that the independent contractor, the salon suite, the booth renter, whatever we're going to call them, and I know they are different. I don't want everyone to think that I'm, uh, you know, grouping them all into the one thing. That they, they, they have similarities about them in that they're all about the business unit of one. And um, COVID has accelerated that trend everywhere, all over the world now. Um, and although the salon suite is, um, you know, it's, it's predominantly an American thing, the uh, the growth of salon suites in other countries is is happening without a shadow of a doubt, and it won't always be the same. But it's the the idea of people being more independent, being that business unit of one, whether they're working as a booth renter in a salon or rent a chair, or whether it's in a, a co-working space. Um, you know, there's more and more of that happening. Um, so, what I want to ask you about first of all was and I've already sort of touched on this, is that there's different laws in different states. Am I right in saying that in New Jersey that you're not allowed salon suites or has that changed now? 
Well, ironically, um, I just had a call with the state. Um, with our, so New Jersey licenses are under the Division of Consumer Affairs. So we're yeah. short of an oddity that where most of you are licensed, especially in the states under trade groups. So plumbers, electricians, hairstylists are under one group. New Jersey, we are governed by Consumer Affairs, which covers insurance agents, real estate agents, mortgage brokers, because they are all about the consumer protection. Okay. Um, so it's an interesting thing, but they have been allowing suites. Um, chair rental is still illegal and probably will stay that way, okay. but we're just now getting the draft guidelines for it because it's becoming a thing. And mm. you know, as an employee-based salon owner, and I've said it before, I initially out of the gate hated the suite model. I mm. couldn't stand it. I just, I, you know, singular, uh, you know, go back to the beehive, right? Mason bees versus uh, honeybees. You're getting a lot more firepower with honeybees than mason bees being in a single space. I don't know what it is, but um, yeah. you know, the reality of it is, is that it's giving a venue for minority business owners, for women yeah. business owners, for people that don't have the capacity or the funds to open a larger salon. Yeah. Um, I know as an employee-based salon owner, I thought that you know, it was the horrible employee, you know, the, the one that didn't get along with everybody that thought they could do it better, decided to leave and go and open a suite because, you know, they needed their own space away from everyone else. Um, I, I'm seeing it differently now, I guess, by sitting on these state board meetings and, and things in our state and looking at it from a different lens, that mm -hmm. it is an opportunity for people that may not have an opportunity. The only thing I would say is that for salon owners and staff that are out there, you know, especially with technology being different than it was. A lot of businesses are contactless and cashless now, which means a lot of stored credit card data. Um, I would just give a word of warning and say, salon owners, make sure that your compliance is set up in terms of what data you're storing with credit cards. Um, operators that want to open a suite, do it graciously. Have a talk with the owner and say, listen, I'm thinking of doing my own micro thing, whether it's for flexibility or you know, whatever your reasoning is, um, give feedback, keep the lines of communication open. You know, you stealing your client list from the computer system in the in the middle of the night. Uh, I, I think that you're gonna have a new ugly case of worms being open on that because of things like credit card compliance and, and things that um, maybe our industry, which never thought about it that much, that it was like, they're the salon clients, they're my clients. It's like, yeah, I think you guys need to have a talk about that because Taking yeah, information as credit card data, yeah, you're getting for a pretty big lawsuit. So I don't think you're going to be open in a, a suite anything if that happened. Mm. But but the communication is key. I think I think that's what will always stick with me as my remembrance of COVID at, during the recovery. And I say that to you know 20th anniversary of 9/11. You know we're stones throw away from the city. I mean I even uh, you, you know we could unfortunately see the twin towers still burning after that event. And the communication and the camaraderie that happened here, not just in the States, not just in the New York market, but globally, you know, COVID affected our industry so much because of that personal touch, because of that personal connection that so many limitations were set upon us that use it as an opportunity to keep those lines open with your staff, with your fellow salon owners. I know so many salon owners locally that if I called you and said, I'm doing an education event, and Anthony Whitaker is going to come in and do a great business class. Would you like to to come as a guest? And they would say, why? They're a mile away. Why would they call me? They're trying to steal my business type of thing. I, I think that mm. finally maybe some of those barriers opened up 
And I think for as loving as this industry is and for as caring as we are for our clientele that I'm hoping that some of the some of those things dissolved and we're realizing that we are all in the same gang in this and we are whether it's uh, you know like I said Australia, New Zealand, London, wherever it is, globally the services that we provide to the clients, the care that we give to these clients and moreover the expert advice. I think that's what we need to reflect on for us and I hope 6 months from now we're sort of really in recovery mode globally and we can look back and say hey let's let's keep this momentum going and you know we don't need the listen there's a there's associations all over the world between professional beauty association intercoiffure um that do great things um in terms of unifying from a membership standpoint but while they're great we need to make sure we keep those lines open between regular salon owners and and spa owners and, and staff so that we never go back to this like judged on our expertise that they wanted us so bad great now you got us so bad <laughs> yeah yeah uh, i'm with you on the thing about the sweet thing it was never my favorite business model but the more you know about it and uh, you know, the more you realize that the world is changing, technology is changing, different generations have different needs and expectations, uh, that, that I totally uh, believe that they fill a, uh, a purpose. Uh, and it's not instead of the employee-employer-based business model, it's, it's as well as, and it'll be right for some people, not for others. And if anything, again, looking at a good thing that comes out of it, and you've sort of alluded to this already, is that it makes salon owners, instead of jumping up and down going, it's not fair, it should make salon owners question, okay, how do I run my business? And I think that this is what we were talking about at the beginning, that COVID has brought some unexpected things as a that, that were happening anyway, where Salon owners are now looking at their stuff and, and saying, okay, people today want more flexibility. And if you can't give them flexibility, because that's the single biggest thing that they usually will say in terms of, well, why are you leaving to open up a suite? Um, usually the word flexibility will be in the first sentence, that they want control, they want more flexibility about when they work, how they work, the products they use, the amount they, they charge, et cetera, et cetera. So salon owners have to start looking at how do I offer my team more flexibility? And I know you and I spoke about this on a, on a clubhouse, so, you know, where, you know, we're trying to balance that with, but Anthony, I just, there is nothing left. There is no profit. There is no margins left in the business to give people more than what they're already getting. But I'm hearing of salons more and more now, like I was talking to someone a couple of weeks ago in Australia. She's now closing Saturdays. So I'm like, yeah. I mean, who, who ever heard of a salon that closes Saturdays? Well, I know of two salons in Australia now that, well, one of them is closing Saturdays, period. Uh, another one is uh, they give all their staff every second Saturday off. Um, and so this is the new world. You just said that yours do a four-day week and you close for a week in August. And it's like, wow, that is just, you know, I was talking to a guy yesterday who he works with his dad in the salon. And, and his dad, you know, is in his 70s and, and still works a couple of days a week. I think he's in his 70s. He might even be in his 80s, you know what I mean? Uh, maybe he's only doing one day a week. But if, you, if he tried to explain to his dad what he was doing with the business in terms of how do you look after your people today, uh, we laughed about it because his dad would just say, you've got rocks in your head. You know, hairdressers being week, closed yeah. on a Saturday, you've got rocks in your head. You know, giving people a week off, you know, in, in summertime, yeah, you're crazy. 
But that's the reality now of if you're a traditional salon owner, you have to find ways, if you want to keep people, you have to find ways to still be profitable and try and make working in a team-based environment, an employee-employer-based environment, more attractive. And, and that is the challenge. And, and there is no, you know, silver bullet, magic wand answer, but, but that is the way through. I, I firmly believe that. You have to start looking at ways that you can integrate more flexibility um, into your culture. Yeah, so, and we um, have to get rid of the percentage-based. You know, people say commission, and the commission, not that there's anything wrong with the commission model, but you'll find if, uh, you know, 100% of nothing is nothing, right? Yeah. So, you know, we, especially here in the States, you started to talk about commission split and things like that, instead of talking about what money you need to make. So if, you know, if you and I sat down in a meeting and I said, you know, Anthony, what do you need? What, what are your needs a week? Like, tell me what's going on and um, do some of that almost financial planning. If I knew the number, you know, numbers don't lie. You can back into the number and say, okay, well, that means that these are the days you need to work. These are the hours. This is what you need to charge. Who cares what the commission percentage is? Because you don't even know. 33 and a third percent, 45%, 60%, and then, you know, illegal product deductions and things. There were so many things that were set up in the industry that I don't know if it was old owners that passed that down the line mm -hmm. that, first of all, may have been incorrect federally by the country law by state law that that was the thing is that you know but there still was no communication mm. you know anthony i'm going to pay you 80 percent of what you bring in but i'm going to charge you a you know a 40 percent product deduction for every service you do yeah, oh my yeah, god he's yeah. paying me 80 percent no he's yeah, paying yeah. you 40 yeah, percent yeah you know? yeah and that's the thing with all these facebook groups you know as you alluded to i think you said you're in 20 of them whatever i'm in a few of them and i scroll through them occasionally and I just shake my head in awe, like at the misinformation yeah. and the um, the degree that a lot of people are uninformed and they've opened a business and they are so uninformed about all manner of things, you know. So, so and, and that is why those Facebook groups, et cetera, serve a really good purpose because, you know, as you said, in, in your group, you get a lot of people chiming in, helping and pointing people to the right resources that, you know, are available to them, which I, I think is, uh, you know, a really important thing, obviously. Um, I, I want to wrap up shortly. Unfortunately, we're running out of time, but I, I, we touched on the COVID thing. I know you've been, you know, open, uh, you know, for quite a time now, um, but in different states and in different countries, you know, places are, are either in and out of lockdown or, at very least, are wary of what does the future hold, especially as we're in the Northern Hemisphere, uh, both you and I, and we're heading into a winter, and maybe we've got a false sense of security over the last, you know, four or five months. Um, so what I wanted to ask you about is, is what have you noticed have been changing expectations from the client perspective as you've got open again? Well, so what's funny is because I always ran the back office, um, my joke was that if Naha had an award for best receptionist, I would I would have won more awards than Damian Carney. I would have been up there for nine <laughs> years. I would have a, a whole fireplace mantle full of best receptionist awards. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, because there's an art form to booking correctly and maximizing the book. Mm. Um, and I, I never wanted to do online booking and, and things like that. But now we're yeah. texting with clients. 
Um, I, I don't know if I want to alert everybody to this, but we have a 48 hour cancellation policy. Um, mm -hmm. That's our rule, not even 24. We went to 48 pre-COVID years ago, and that's what we've stuck with. Um, but my clients prepay in advance 48 hours. So they confirm, they ha they meet the criteria to have to show up for the appointment and they paid. Now they it's pay the whole bill or percent? Oh, they, they pay the whole bill. Right, okay. No, no deposit. I mean, they've basically committed as a client to saying, yeah. I plan on showing up. I mean, listen, emergencies happen and things course, happen, yeah. but those are so minuscule at this point um, yeah. that, you know, we, we started that prepayment during COVID a year and a half ago. We're never going to let it go. Yeah. You know, yep. we not that we know what we have already in the bank, if that makes sense. We're not doing it from an accounting perspective, but yep. just from a policy perspective, it's so much easier. You know, and listen, most salons have a COVID, uh, not even a, a post COVID, pre COVID cancellation policy. Yeah. You know, we're we're able to use those things in our to our advantage the text messaging those types of things mm -hmm. um, what i would probably leave everyone with is this little bit of advice that you should all keep you can change what you want to change in your business anytime you feel like it change mm -hmm. is always uncomfortable to agree degree right so butterfly changing from a cocoon you can bring all the analogies in but you know if you said to your client, uh, Mary, I know you're in every three weeks and I see you so often and we have great conversations, but we decided that we're gonna sit back and we're gonna talk about troubleshooting. So you're gonna be my test case, if that's okay. They don't have to know that, you know, policy has to be policy and, and protocol has to be protocol. Who cares about the COVID protocols? If you decide that you need to make sure that you do a clear and concise consultation every time, Yes, those regulars are going to say, Anthony, why are you why are you talking to me like this? Listen, we've decided that this is better suited for us as a business model. And I really love you. You're in every three weeks. So why don't you go with it? Go with the flow with me on this and let's see how it works and give me some feedback because I want the staff to do this because I think we're missing the mark on making sure we're troubleshooting correctly and recommending the right retail and take home products for clients and they will conform and they will do it. They like you. Think about reviews. Your best clients, if I go on our Yelp review right now, um, I could, I, if I matched up in my software, my 20 best clients, that 18 of them I probably personally, not as their hairstylist, have a personal relationship as the front of house. Mm. I bet not one of them wrote a Yelp review for us. I bet none of them wrote a Google review. You know why? Because I never asked them to. Yeah or the stylist never asked them to, or the staffer never asked them to. If I called every one of them physically or sent them a message now and said, I just realized I didn't do my job. We yeah. love you and you never wrote a review. Would you mind? They would do yeah. it in a minute because of that communication, that conversation and that change. Change, it's okay. COVID, listen, this isn't, hopefully most of you are gonna be open another 100 years and this, you'll, you'll be so well-versed in pandemics that the next one, you'll go to the, you know, you'll, you'll open up the bunker doors in the basement of your salons and you'll have all your masks and everything ready to go and <laughs> say, we're not even gonna close. We've, we've done this before and jump in. Yeah. Um, but that's, you know, the, chain, the change is okay. It is okay to grow. Just let everybody know, let your staff know, let your clients know and, and positive change is great. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I did a podcast uh, two weeks ago uh, with a gentleman called Bruno Mark. Um, highly recommended if you haven't listened to it. And he, we talked about this because he 
had an incident where um, he's the, the, the salon owner, well, him and his brothers, and they've got three, uh, three salons. And he said, you know, we had this incident, uh, or he personally did, it was on a Saturday afternoon. He was waiting around for his, his client to come in. It was two clients. It was a husband and wife. Um, the wife was having a color. They're both having a haircut. And, you know, it was three or 400 pounds. So, you know, like, like four or $500. Uh, the bill would have been. And um, they hadn't turned up. And he called them. And they just, you know, they were really apologetic. They were good clients. They said, oh, my gosh, we forgot. You know, we were, we, we, it was such a beautiful day. We went out on the river in the boat. And, uh, but, but don't worry, we'll come in next week. And he said he, you know, he rebooked them for next week. He hung up and just went, that's it. No more. No more. Like, I, I cannot recoup that $400. And, and, and then he went through his, his books for the last, you know, few weeks. And he, he added up the amount of money that they'd lost through no-shows. And it was thousands and so they put in straight off, uh, I think it was a 24-hour, not 48-hour uh, cancellation fee. might have been 48, um, and where they have to put a deposit down and they lose that deposit if they don't cancel. And he said, sure enough, there were one or two people that kicked up about it, but they explained to them. They said, listen, we just, as a business, like we're, we're now, you know, in the situation that we're in because of COVID, we can't work to capacity. There's so many things that are like, you know, compounding on us that we cannot have no-shows. And as he said in the podcast, everyone was happy about it. Everyone understands. You, you just have to do it. And once you do it, you stick with it. And it's not just the hairdressing industry. Restaurant industry has done the same thing. You know, a lot of people are booking restaurants. They're booking four or five restaurants. And then they decide which one they're going to go to on the yeah. night. And they're not canceling the other four. And, and you're leaving these Small businesses, just like the hairdressing industry, absolutely hanging on for you to turn up. And in the meantime, they've, they've turned away, you know, people that could have taken that table three or four times over. So, yeah, I think that that, is, that that will be a positive of the future going forward. And this is the opportunity to do it if you haven't already done it. So, yeah, thanks for that one. No, and I, so ho listen, I hope that, I, listen, the only thing I would say on that real quick, I hope yeah. that, it becomes industry standard to do things like that globally. Yeah. That we are experts. This is a thing. Just like doctor's offices. You can't cancel on a doctor without getting yeah, um, exactly. a payment. So yeah. that's all I would say is that change yeah, is no, good. I agree. Industry change is great. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay. Well, listen, uh, whereabouts, James, can people uh, connect with you on uh, Instagram or Facebook or any other social media channels? I know I said Facebook, uh, Beauty Business Reset. I'll put the link for that in the show notes. Uh, but where else can they uh, reach out and connect with you? So as, as a family joke, you can find me on Instagram at, at Patron St. James. <laughs> um, <laughs> It's, it's a long running joke in my house because, you know, I'm a saint in my mother's eyes, um, but it's the Instagram is great. And Facebook is, is, is great, too. I mean, um, we, we are active on that because the group is so large. I mean, the Beauty Business Reset group and the other group that's connected to it is about 20,000 um, employee based salon owners throughout um, globally at this point, which is really cool. Yeah. Um, but you guys can find me pretty easy. But Instagram, I love um, you can send me a message there. You can find me on Facebook for sure. Cool. Okay. So I'll put those links on our website and in the show notes. Uh, they'll be on the website at growmysalonbusiness.com uh, for today's podcast. So if you're listening to this podcast with James Elber, 
then uh, please do me a favor, take a screenshot on your phone and uh, share it to your Instagram stories and tell other people that they should check it out. So uh, to wrap up today's call, James Elba, thank you ever so much for being my guest on today's Grow My Salon Business podcast. Seriously, my pleasure. Anytime, Clubhouse, podcast, whatever you need, I am always here for you. And I'm always appreciative that you've done the same for me. Cheers, man. Thank you very much. Cheers. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you'd like to connect with us, you'll find us at growmysalonbusiness.com or on Facebook and Instagram at growmysalonbusiness. And if you enjoyed tuning into our podcast, make sure that you subscribe, like, and share it with your friends. Until next time, this is Anthony Whitaker wishing you continued success.